The opinions and views expressed on this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about the show or other programs on KUCI, please log on to KUCI.org for the latest program schedule. This is KUCI. Fill up the table. Fill up the table. Count the empties. Count the empties. Fill up the table. Fill up the table. Count well, the it's count the empties. There you have it, a little potluck on my compilation disc. Good morning. This is Claudia Shamba. I'm your host, welcoming you to the May 20 edition of Ask a Leader. Uh, today we are going to, to my my guests are going to be two. 45th Congressional District candidates that will, and hopefully, right now we have one uh, already plugged in in the studio, and then the um, that will be Drew Levins. He's a Democrat running in the 45th Congressional seat uh, race, which is an open race this year in the Democratic uh, District, uh, Democratic uh, primary. Uh, I want to welcome any new listeners today, and uh, we'll all have a chance to get acquainted with our uh candidates today on this special forum. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in just a moment. Hello. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. Before I introduce the candidates' uh, civics lesson, if you are confused about the uh, your relationship with your congressional district, you have Abundant Company. The district in which this station and nearby communities reside uh, was redistricted from the 48th in 2013, currently represented by John Campbell, who served since a special election in 2006 when uh, it was vacated by Christopher Cox, who was appointed by George Bush to serve on the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission. The 45th Congressional District now includes the communities of Irvine, Tustin, North Tustin, Villa Park, Anaheim Hills, Laguna Hills, Lake Forest, Rancho Santa Margarita, and Mission Viejo. And more on about how um, what matters guides this week's and next week's uh, political interviews. It's a I'm going to say it, we're going to talk policy. Not politics. If I if I get my way, I I find that that's where our little brains stretch into the places we want them to stretch, and uh, that that may be a good seg for. Uh, speaking of brains, uh, it's a psychologist who is my first guest running uh, as a Democrat in the forty fifth congressional race. Um, a little bit about him now. Drew Levins received his associate's degree from Ventura Community College in 1972 and his B.A. from California State University at Sonoma. He went on to earn a Master's of, 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 of Arts in Psychology, and then he worked as a counselor for 10 years before forming his own company, which became Specialized Training Services. In 2011, Specialized Training Services and uh, coordinated a contract with the UC system, office president to provide workplace and campus safety and threat assessment training to each of the 10 UC campuses. 
In 2013, SDS, as Specialized Training Services Firms called, worked with the United States Capitol Police to provide training for their staff in Washington, D.C. on advanced threat assessment and threat management. The work of Specialized Training Services continues today. Drew Levins resides in which city? That eludes me on your website. Irvine. He lives in Irvine. He joins me here in studio today. Welcome to the show, Drew Levins. Thank you very much. Let me uh, just correct you quickly oh, so do- we don't offend the uh, psychologists out there. My license is in marriage and family therapy. Marriage I'm not and- a psychologist. Okay. Marriage and therapy. Thank you very much. That's essential. Well, I'd like to um, look at the institution where you're wanting where you're campaigning to become a member and where it's all the words out there's been some major dysfunction there i'd like to have you look in terms of yourself and how you would fit in what's being operationalized currently i'd like you to tell me which congressional member do you see as one uh, a mentor for you, one that you would transition, uh, help you transition t- into serving in that governing body? Well, the person that I have a tremendous amount of respect for is Debbie Wasserman Schultz from Florida. Uh, she's a wonderful, bright woman that has boundless energy, and uh, she's a good role model. All right. And she's been the Democratic National Committee chair for the last, let's see, two years or longer now, I- it's been longer than Even that, that, I believe, yeah. Okay, and uh, so, uh, so, so it's her leadership and her profile that you're um, that you're most um, inclined toward. Sure. Okay. Good. Uh, so, what would you say then? Um, speaking of existing conditions, uh, what would you say be John Campbell's? What is his legacy? Well, it's uh, it's hard for me to. Uh, uh, really say what his legacy is. Uh, I note that many people in the district have their own opinions. Certainly, I would not do things quite the same as John has done. I don't think he's been here and been responsible to the people in this district as much as I would want to be. Okay. All right. And the the congressional delegation in Orange County uh, is um, a particular one. It's it's following with the sort of general trend of the the congressional session now in terms of its uh, political alliances in, yes. in the policy arena. So uh, we'll we'll talk about some of those uh, alliances, uh, those policy situations. Let's uh, let's talk about some environmental policy before the Congress. There there is a discussion. Uh, well, uh, let me go step back a bit. Uh, there was Bob Ingress, former congressman from South Carolina, super conservative credentials by every conservative organization's report cards. He got the A plus and everything from the the uh, APAC all the way to the the NRA, uh, uh, all religious. Uh, uh, conservative religious coalitions and that kind of thing. But Bob Ingress got religion in terms of global climate change. And he was voted out resoundingly. I think his challenger, his Tea Party challenger, uh, beat him in uh, 2010 with, uh, I think, a 70% uh, majority that the challenger had. That name eludes me. But So uh, I'd like to know, um, in, he's been trying to work with the, with inside, discreetly with, 
GOP members of Congress to get them on board with climate change so that there can be some progress on adopting a kind of carbon neutral tax. What is your disposition toward the carbon neutral tax and uh, how you would work with that orthodoxy in the GOP in Congress that will not publicly acknowledge the climate change phenomenon? Well, first, let me say that uh, I side with the scientists who believe that climate change is real. When 97% of our scientists say that we have a problem here, uh, I believe it. I'm more inclined to believe the scientists than I am the politicians because the politicians have vested interest in uh, keeping the status quo and keeping the oil and gas flowing. And so uh, when it comes down to something like the carbon neutral tax, I, I think that it's a, a decent idea. It momentarily penalizes those who are producing large amounts of carbon that will get into our atmosphere. Uh, consumers end up paying for that in the short term and then are reimbursed. So I don't know how much of a deterrent it is actually for the energy producers who are causing carbon pollution in our atmosphere. I don't know how much of a deterrent it is for them because inevitably the consumers are the ones that end up paying the freight. Well, the, the there's two areas there. I know that the there is the carbon neutral taxes is a, it's a zero um, it's a, a a net net in terms of revenue raised in the carbon neutral tax and that revenue would be reduced in other tax policies. Correct. And so uh, that that situation would um, it it's difficult uh, to get sufficient majority on board with approving that openly. Uh, and the other thing I, I found interesting in Bob Ingress's campaign to adopt this kind of legislation is that the voters of those congressional, those conservative congressional members districts, the voters understand better uh, about the climate change and the staffers really get the, the climate change uh, consequences. But the staffers risk, they say, losing their jobs if they were to be publicly supporting these kinds of measures. It's a very powerful lobby that exists in this country to protect the oil and gas industry. The same marketing firm that defended uh, the tobacco industry uh, when uh, cigarettes were shown to cause cancer, the same marketing firm that protected the tobacco industry is the same marketing firm that's now protecting the oil and gas industry. And their objective is to defer, cause debate, question, uh, disagree. And by doing so, it keeps this issue as a debate and it keeps it so that we can never make any progress with it because you can't get any unanimous decision. Okay. So, and then the... Um the other aspect of this is that the, um, well, I'll, I'll take up the, an, another aspect of that. For those of you who've just joined us, you're listening to Ask a Leader here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, where my guest is Drew Levins, a marriage therapy counselor uh, with his own company, running as a de Democrat in California's 43rd 45th Congressional oh. District here in the direct priming. Wow. So um, that's um, we can come back to that if there are some other aspects that uh, concern you. Um, that 
I'd like to take up immigration reform. The DREAM Act nearly it passed in the House in 2010 uh, prior to uh, its fizzling out in December 2010 uh, in the Senate. Uh, but the composition of the House has changed considerably since that fall in 2010. Yes. I'd like to know what you would support in the way of immigration reform? It's a big, wide-open question. We'll break it up into small parts if you just give Good. us your general impression first. Well, my general impression is that this is one issue that causes tremendous polarity, especially right here in Orange County. Uh, I've been a supporter of the DREAM Act, and I, frankly, I feel that it's time to get something done. We, we have very tough issues to look at in this country, and immigration is one of them. And I don't think that we're going to get to where we need to be as a country if we just continue to push these issues under the rug. Okay. And so uh, our district is, uh, do you have a breakdown of uh, the, um, how, how many people, the percentage that, would, that the DREAM Act would affect in the 45th Congressional District? Well, uh, I don't know how many specifically of would course. be affected if by the DREAM Act. Yes. No, I, I don't have uh, that figure. But you have to remember that uh, these are individuals uh, who came to this country uh, through no fault of their own. They're people who have pledged allegiance to our flag every single day of their school career. And now they're turning into productive young adults. And they don't have the advantages of being able to participate in our society as they should be able to. Okay. So um, do you have, like we're talking about crossing over the aisle and bringing uh, the party in power on board with getting some of this legislation moving, how might you engage first the Orange County congressional delegation as well as the other members of Congress to to see where this is an important uh, measure to advance? Well, I, I have read the positions of the other uh, members of the Orange County Congressional Delegation, and at least uh, two of them have very hardened positions against them, and I'm not sure I would be successful in persuading them to take this up. At least one other member is has been shown to be fairly neutral on the topic. Who's that? And, uh, Ed Royce. Okay. Has not come out w- really one way or the other. Uh, and so, uh, but I come from a background of training and education. And I believe that uh, if people uh, are properly educated and understand an issue and understand that we have to make some tough choices here and we have to move forward, I think we can get people to move forward. I, I, in terms of education, I think it's really uncanny that, that there's entertainment formats that are doing everything to bring to the attention the kind of uh, the, the propensity of science supporting global climate change. I mean, John Oliver was reduced a couple, I think, Sundays ago. He, he decided to have the... Two percent of the climate change deniers and the ninety-eight percent science. He had them all assembled on his his TV station floor, and just to show you what what that those numbers look like in right. terms of what's the balance of the science. So it's so it, entertainment is sort of trying to is wringing its uh, hands out at trying to use anything and any device possible to 
bring that distortion of a message uh, to light so people can have a better grasp of where the science is. In well, that's the job this. of the marketing industry is to distort the science. And we know that right here in Orange County, I mean, we think about uh, climate change as something that's out and away from us. Maybe it's in the coal mines of uh, West Virginia, or maybe it's uh, some place way far away. But in reality, there's things that are happening right here in Southern California. I think that most uh, people in Orange County would be astonished, for instance, at the amount of fracking that exists right here in Orange County. I do want to cover that in June. I know there's um, some special forms that are going to make that a much more visible kind yeah. of enterprise. I think people think that's happening everywhere else, and uh, it's it's something right here, and I'm hoping I can uh, secure a, a speaker uh, in June, hopefully on the 10th is what I'm working on. So uh, what I, I wanted to walk back what I was saying, uh, thinking earlier about uh, the, uh, the the climate change aspect. I guess we can look at the, the industries with the most... Uh, into the future portfolio, the longer-term portfolio, that are seeing that where there's a market advantage into advancing carbon-neutral tax measures. Right. Well, every single State of the Union address that I have heard our president uh, talk about the issue of energy, he has called for uh, renewable energies and green energies, and yet this country is lagging way far behind in terms of actually following through on that. And uh, part of the reason that that situation exists is because we have a very powerful oil and gas lobby in this country that is uh, making it difficult for alternative energy to take a foothold. Well, it's happening in the Kentucky primary, I guess. That's live and well today. We can watch that along with the other primaries, what's happening there. Oh, I hope that's, let me get this turned up here some more, folks. Pardon me. So that we can always go back to uh, uh, that that element, that uh, pub policy element here. So, um, what as the Great Recession is slogging along, we have seen stimulus packages come and go. We've seen different sectors of the economy thrive, and others stagnate. In uh, as the economy slowly starts to improve. I'd like to know, as the uh, stimulus package was first proposed in 2008 and debated, and where we are now with the what measures are available, where were you when Timothy Geithner and the other contributors in the Obama administration were putting together uh, bailout packages and stimulus packages? What were you um, endorsing at that time, and what would you like to see take up now so that there are more, uh, so that the benefits uh, are are going to be spread around, around more evenly uh, throughout our the economic sector. I am so glad that you asked me that. Well, let's uh, take all the time because that's, okay. that's the biggest one. Well, at the time, I had a tremendous plan to try to move us out of what I saw as a total and complete meltdown. This was a plan that involved... Uh, manipulating people's mortgages on the short term so that their interest rates would fall and they would have less in the way of payments and they would be able to then stay in their house. And I tried getting through to my representatives who I couldn't get a response from. I tried to, I was contacting uh, 
you know, CNBC and uh, some of the commentators there. I was sending. When was that? Uh, this was in t- uh, right after the president was elected. I actually st- sent this plan off to President uh, Obama, and I worked with my uh, my senators from this state, and I couldn't get a response virtually from anybody. But it was actually a plan that I worked on and perfected and gave hours to because I could see the handwriting on the wall. And at that time, if, as you remember, we were losing hundreds of thousands of jobs a month and people were starting to fall out of their houses and I just saw this whole situation starting to cascade and nobody really getting a grip on it and saying hey this is going to be really bad unless we do x y and z and people simply weren't stepping up to the plate as you remember back at that time the goal of the leader of the senate was to be sure that our president was a one-term president It wasn't to get us jobs, and it wasn't to stop this impending crisis from snowballing. I recall that. It was a mantra that we used to an obscene lengthy time. And uh, when crisis was not looming, but was, as you said, cascading with its effects. Uh, So, um, well... And we see now that those the multiplier effect, if you're saying cascading, that now with people having had their homes foreclose then because their paychecks were no longer coming in to pay the mortgage then we had uh, neighborhoods that were beginning to go into decline because of the vacated properties that were they were owned by a bank or owned by a portfolio a um, investment portfolio but they weren't occupied and there are, are consequences to property values security in that neighborhood so uh, it's I, I don't know if you uh, wanted to address what you want to do what you would like to do at this point um, in reversing some of that and I, I just want uh, I it's uncanny we're talking Timothy Geithner's, Geithner's book stress test and stress management sort of the collision of your uh, your two expertise here so what would at this at this juncture what would you it, in a congressional capacity do to help those that have been uh, seeing nothing but decline in uh, at the household, the neighborhood, and the municipal levels? There are actually several things that we could do. The, fir- the first thing that I would do would be to raise the minimum wage, as the president has called for. Uh, when you raise the minimum wage, you give people who are working at the very bottom of the economy a little bit more disposable income. And that income finds its way immediately into the economy. 2.6 million people uh, were shut off from their unemployment benefits who have not been able to find work. And it's estimated that if we simply reinstated their unemployment benefits, it would add 200,000 jobs to this economy. The president has called for infrastructure projects every year. And it's such a win-win for us. It's, It's hard to imagine that we don't Uh, follow through on that. We get important things fixed. For instance, uh, here in California, we've got a levy system that that is a very ancient history and and actually quite a danger. There are roads and highways and schools, things that could put people back to work, uh, working on things that we need as a country, which is solid infrastructure. 
those people get a paycheck, they're off unemployment. They end up paying taxes. The government gets revenue back. It's a win in so many ways. And people say, well, that's just a temporary thing. No, it's not a temporary thing. For each one of those infrastructure jobs, permanent jobs are created as a result. And finally, I, I actually have a plan that if we have an obstructive Congress, as we do now, I would take the job of job creation to the people themselves. Here in Orange County, for instance, this is a fairly wealthy county, and people could contribute money to create bonds, which could be used to put solar panels on schools and uh, government buildings, and then those bonds would be paid back. In other words, it, it, a local bond? Or? It could be a local bond. It could be a statewide bond. It could happen on the national level, but where, where people and corporations contribute money to uh, I mean, not contribute because they will get it back. They invest their money and they get an interest rate return, but always on projects that will inevitably make money, like a solar uh, pa panel project on a school. Well, schools are going to have to pay for their energy, so eventually the cost of that is paid back. The people who loan the money get the money back. But in the me meantime, you've put a lot of people to work, and the school has made an investment in alternative energy that will reduce its costs in the future. For those of you who've just joined us here on Ask a Leader, I'm talking with Drew Levins. He's the Democratic 45th Congressional District candidate here um, uh, running against uh, three other candidates. And uh, we're talking about... Uh, some infrastructure uh, stimulus um, packages. We're going to talk about how he'll operationalize that. I wanted to say, for those of you who are looking at your sample ballots and you're saying, okay, that's two candidates that you're contemplating hearing from today, I wanted to, I reached out to both Mimi Walters, uh, she's representing us in the state senate right now, and uh, the um, and also uh, Greg Rath's, um, both of them are running as Republicans in the direct primary. Greg Rass did not reply to my efforts to reach his campaign, and Mimi Walters was not available for either a pre-recorded or this live interview today. So that's uh, where we are with um, the guests that are here. Um, we are still waiting for uh, Al Salehi uh, to come to the studio. I hope we'll be able to hear from him uh, when he does come in. So I'd like for you, Drew Levins, to tell us how would you legislatively operationalize this stimulus package of uh, re, um, retrofitting and building a new infrastructure, either in Orange County or uh, California? A lot of it depends on the makeup of, of the Congress coming into being in 2015. Okay. Uh, because the, Let's say we're working with the existing... If we're working with we can, the existing Congress, I, I, you know, I call these We Love America bonds. And, and ev everybody could contribute to the creation of a bond fund. Here in California, for instance, I mean, l l let's say that we raised uh, a tremendous amount of money by corporations and wealthy... Uh, How? Individuals. Well... Uh, somebody wants to contribute $1,000, and they realize that they won't get their $1,000 back for 10 years, but they'll get it back with interest. So parents who who want to send their children to school in 10 years, they might say, hey, I can I can invest in this bond. It will, it will grow jobs. It will help California. And then I will get it back in 10 years when my children 
are college age and I will have made some money. So that works for me. So let's say that we raise a tremendous amount of money. We could then do something like address the water problem here in California. Which are the which water problem? Well, uh, distribution, the water quality, the availability. What there are several which different one? solutions to it. Uh, you know, in San Diego County, they have built a new desalinization plant, and that might work for communities here in the L.A. Orange County basin. Uh, we could also look at doing something creative in a place like Oregon, which gets over 200 inches of rain a year, and most of that rain simply flows out to the ocean. Why don't we consider working with Oregon, collecting that water? Uh, we're talking about a keystone pipeline to go from Canada down to Oklahoma to pump oil. Certainly, we could pump water from Oregon down to Lake Shasta in Northern California and find a way to get water into our central valleys, which would help out the farmers there who are really pinched from water, and get some of that water down into the L.A. Orange County Basin as well. That's just one of many ideas that I, I think are excellent ideas. But in order to do that, you need a pot of money and you know, people could repay the cost of that bond uh, through their water bills at the, to the tone of a dollar a month. And it, it, it just becomes a win-win in so many different levels. So I, I see this as a, a really expensive proposition, and it re require a multi-state kind of an agreement. Is there not a, an advantage to trying to work toward a, a water conservation and uh, smart sort of uh, irrigation systems, retrofitting some of those, so take yeah. those examples from uh, semi-arid countries. The Israelis always had that one figured out, this irrigation. So uh, would would it be more feasible to talk about using less in all the sectors in California? Yes and no. I heard a water commissioner speak on this topic recently, and he said that we are actually using the same amount of water now in Southern California than we were 20 years ago. With a smaller population. So, then. so uh, conservation has worked and, and continues to work well. The problem is that we have a finite amount of water here. And you look at what happened this year with this major drought that we've had. And uh, if that's symptomatic of climate change and is not just a one-year anomaly, then we have to consider that this may continue into the future. You're right, though. The water project is a big project and probably couldn't happen out of the type of bonds that I'm talking about. Maybe it's too big of an infrastructure project, but there's so many things locally that we could do. I mentioned uh, this solarization of government buildings and, and uh, there's, schools. They're everywhere now. And I'm seeing panels all over. And, that, and that's such a win-win. Uh, there may be areas where a bridge or a, a road would be helpful, and maybe it's off the grid of Caltrans. So perhaps you build this bridge, and for seven years you charge a toll for it and then it becomes part of the original infrastructure but in doing so you create jobs you create convenience for people perhaps you reduce the traffic problems a little bit people pay for it temporarily but they don't pay for it forever well i'd like to i see that we're going to be having a, a lengthier interview with drew levens i'd like to take a break for a moment and after that, we can come back. Uh, this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming at polling places all over the world uh, on at the web at KUCI.org. We'll be back in just a brief moment. New York. Redwood. 
Well, that was Pete Seeger with uh, a little audience participation. It was a little hard to hear. I'm sorry I couldn't give you a little bit better recording. But, you know, folks, that this land is our land, even though we took it from another group of people. Didn't have much to say about that. But uh, it's always tr- truth and uh Truth and reappropriating property, after all. Well, um, we're back here uh, on Ask a Leader, Radio KUCI, 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming on the web at KUCI.org. And for those of you who've missed portions of this or other programs, you can follow on podcast what we've covered over the, the, the last years, in fact, uh, either on KUCI.org's um, pot, uh, the archives tab or on my own website at askaleader.com. My guest in this portion of the show is Drew Levins. He's a Democrat, and uh, by trade, he is a marriage therapy counselor. Marriage and family marriage therapist. Marriage and f- family therapist. Thank uh, you. That's, <laughs> include that shingle. That's that's big. That's, that's more, family's even more complicated than a marriage, I'm thinking. <laughs> and so uh, he is running as a Democrat uh, against uh, Al-Salehi, who is an independent. He's, Al-Salehi is running as, with no party affiliation, as opposed to the American Independent Party. We, I had that little discussion with Al prior to the interview. And then we have uh, running at the two Republicans on the direct primary ballot for this cycle are Mimi Walters and Greg Rass, and they were not available. Uh, in Greg Rass' case, he was simply uh, did not answer my request for an interview. So we are very fortunate to have this privileged uh, and informal session with Drew Levins to find out how much he's been thinking about public policy. And you notice we're not dealing with the politics. There's so many questions we could ask about that, but that just chases the lured other articles that are being covered on your front pages. And I, and I just actually, I want to, in our now kicking into a, a different casual tack here, is I'm in preparing for this interview, Drew, I noticed, and I want you to comment on what you think is going on here, sort of as a therapist for our national psyche, as well as uh, <laughs> as a candidate, is um, that there aren't articles about any congressional activity right now. It's just, it's just not on the radar. There's the salacious coverage of where things are falling off the rails, and you name it, your entertainment, your athletic, your uh, other situations, but uh, I'm not seeing... I'm not even seeing the the uh, the photogen- photogenic telegenic uh, canter having anything put out there. I don't know if it's because they're not active or it's the media is not uh, bringing this particular arena to our attention. But I I'd like to know what you think is the dearth of coverage of l- congressional activity in the last several days, weeks. Well, uh, yeah, I think I have a little bit of insight about that. You know, what we've seen over the last several years have been, obviously, the financial meltdown brought on by deregulation. We've had uh, two debt default crises. We've had a sequester. We had a government shutdown. And uh, all of these were big news items. And now we are in an election year. And all of a sudden, you you have a situation where people are just, I think, burned out on hearing uh, of all of the bad news that's coming out of Congress. Ninety-one percent of the people have been disappointed with the job that Congress has been doing. And so I think what's happened is, is that finally Congress has listened to that, and they're being very quiet. Uh, they don't want to call attention to their records because their record frankly has been abysmal 
Well, I know when we talk about political, local political coverage, there are things that are happening, and my connections with municipal government say it is just not getting covered. But your your take is that they're just keeping their heads a little bit lower here and working on the fundraising and not so much activity on the floor in Congress. Yeah, I think that's very accurate. And w- the you look at what they're not doing. They're certainly not taking up the big issues like jobs. I, I haven't seen a jobs proposal come out of this Congress since our president took office. Not one. Uh, They have not taken up the immigration debate, and I don't see that happening. Uh, They have not seriously given consideration to gun policy in this country, despite the fact that the American people really would like it to be so. And so I don't see this as being a Congress of representatives that are actually representing the people of their district now. These are people who are representing other interests that uh, are not the will and the wishes of the people that live in the districts that they represent. Well, since you brought up uh, firearms, what is your disposition towards the ownership and carrying uh, of uh, firearms of different kinds? Well, we have a Second Amendment, and I don't dispute the Second Amendment at all. Uh, everybody has the right to bear arms. That's what the Second Amendment says. However, uh, it's up to the people of this country to determine the details of that. For instance, nobody's allowed to have a bazooka. Why? Because as reasonable people, we decided that that's probably not a firearm that most people should have. But more specifically, when you look at the aftermath of the terrible tragedy at Sandy Hook, uh, it was polled that 9 out of 10 people, including gun owners, felt that we should have background checks for anybody that purchases a gun. But we could not get a discussion, much less a vote on this, in Congress, which tells you that when 9 out of 10 Americans agree on something and that opinion, that, uh, those thoughts are completely ignored by our Congress, that our very system of representation is at risk. Well, we understand. I've talked a little bit about those dynamics in play and the public choice theory about how the ones with the largest stake in that legislation, like weapons uh, manufacturing industries, they they had one piece uh, in this whole in this policy making. One thing that and it it was the only part of their portfolio that uh, their reason for living, and they were extremely focused on controlling the debate right up I noticed right up until right at the very beginning when we had one of our our federal senators Barbara Boxer saying well after after Sandy Hook Elementary the massacre occurred Barbara Boxer said well let's wait and hear what NRA has to say so it was the NRA didn't have to do anything it was just all they had to say we're going to have a press release and everybody's saying okay we're going to give them our full attention so that's telling us a great deal about how focused they are in the public policy arena and yeah. how much clout they have as a result of that very concentrated effort. And yet the NRA did not waste the opportunity. They proposed that we should have more guns in school. Well, that's it. They were focused on expanding gun sales. And they, they also reached out to gun owners in a way to suggest that as a result of Sandy Hook, the big hand of government may come in and take their weapons away 
which resulted in last year, 2013, gun manufacturers all enjoyed record profits. So they did their job. They sold a lot of guns. And now you can see that we have a guns everywhere bill in Georgia where people can go to Hartsfield Airport and sit there and have a drink with their gun in their pocket waiting for their friend's flight to arrive. And you can only imagine if their flight's delayed what kind of a problem that might cause. You have a situation where Rand Paul proposed that we should have allow guns in every post office. And right here in Orange County, we have okay. a situation where the sheriff is uh, honoring permits for concealed weapons uh, where the court decision that would have allowed that was actually stayed. Yet the sheriff continues to do this. So weapons are proliferating right here in Orange County, and I just don't think that people are aware of that. But I do believe that in general, uh, parents... When they send their children to school, they want to know that their children are going to come home. When they send their kid to the mall or the movie theater, they want to know that there's somebody in that mall or movie theater who shouldn't have a gun, who's sitting there waiting with automatic weapons. And as a country, I think we've failed our kids and we failed our parents in this regard. On a previous program, we actually had uh, Charlie Blick and another affiliate with the Brady Campaign for the Prevention of Gun Violence. And we've addressed that uh, very matter of, of Sandra Hudgens, who's on. She's on the ballot. She's unopposed running as sheriff. Uh, Hudgens, yes. Uh, so that's, um, that is a policy matter that, unfortunately, we don't have a, any way to sort of weigh in about uh, any kind of opposing view on that administrative matter. And it was it's a fiscal one, too. She, she's, she was able to appropriate other funds, additional funds, to administer that to, I think, $1.4 million uh, from some county budget line item. So it was, it's, it, there's a security and a fiscal consequence to that decision of hers. Well, there's, a, there's an element of uh, the gun lobby and uh, gun ownership that is very outspoken and very hostile about any movement on this area. And in order to create change in this country, there needs to be equally loud voices on the other side. I don't think that what people are asking for is unreasonable at all. We found uh, in the short uh, time that we've had Colorado's uh, background checks law in effect, from July 1 to the end of last year, they found that 2% of the people who applied for gun ownership were rejected. It turned out to only be 72 people. But if you can think of the damage that those 72 people could have caused had they been able to access weapons, and then you multiply that on a national scale, I think it's actually frightening. And I think that every parent, every concerned citizen should be thinking about this as it relates to their own family safety. Well, um, and I, I guess we can't uh, we can't we can't know that what those seventy two people pose as a public safety risk, but I think your point is made is that it's uh, there the world didn't fall apart in Colorado, and that the constituents can could rely on effective public policy becoming established and becoming a, a model for other states to adopt, well, law, the, or the, the federal legislature. Law-abiding citizens uh, were not hampered from getting a gun. They were inconvenienced for 10 minutes to fill out a form. But we do know that if you have uh, people who are prior criminals, 
if you have people who have had a history of mental disability, if you have men who are have restraining orders against them for domestic violence, these are generally people that, w- when given a firearm, bad things are that much more likely to happen. We know this, and we know that we can identify them safely and easily, uh, and yet we don't. Well, I'd like to... Uh cover, I don't know if you have any planned um, particular legislative agendas that we haven't already talked about that you have found uh, are becoming a part of your uh, your stump. I'm, I'm not going to put you allow you to go into like your standard stock stock speech, <laughs> but are there other policy uh, arenas that you have talked on in your campaign that you'd also like to to bring to listeners' attention? I've got other questions, but in terms of well, specific issues. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, this is not happening so much on the federal level right now, but on a state-by-state state level, I see uh, that women's reproductive issues have become a a source of tremendous concern to me because uh, they're being dishonored. Uh, women's issues relative to equal pay are continuing to be dishonored. Uh, these are issues that... Uh, are not so much happening on the federal level because they can't make it happen. But when you look at this whole issue about whether uh, a corporation can deny a woman access to birth control, for instance, as part of the health plan that everybody else can get because of its owner's religious beliefs, uh, I have a tremendous problem with that. Uh, Obviously, there there are many other issues that I would look at on the the national level. We've covered jobs, we've covered immigration, we've covered climate change. Uh, there's so much going on in this country, and and frankly, we could be so much better at what we do if we had a group of people in Congress who was actually willing to move forward for the best interests of this country. I don't see that right now. I see that party and politics absolutely dominates the moment there's we've lost a sense of bipartisanship of getting things done for what's good for the country we've lost a sense of representing the people in our district for representing some interest that has a lot of money somewhere and i i think that it's time that we reclaim our country well there's two things i want to follow up with that in terms of um the women's um reproductive rights where there's been a sort of an incremental in, uh, intrusion into where those t- choices can be uh, exercised. And in some states, we're dealing with now almost no health care facility. Yeah, that's happening cont- on a state-by-state state state by state state basis. Yes. And I'm not sure how much it's affected uh, California. We, don't, we haven't had any uh, recent laws adopted that are are uh, limited. Well, we well we've had in the private sector some uh, policy changes at Hogue yes, and yes. delivery that, but it, there hasn't been any sort of legislative uh, uh, initiatives there. But um, so that that that's a, a consideration. Yeah. And so um, the other item that you brought up earlier was how uh, con- Congressman Ed Royce, whose district is just to the north of the forty fifth, uh, that he is showing some signs of, of some movement in his thinking about uh, global climate change. Um, let's talk t- about how you would work with 
the California congressional delegation on these issues you say that aren't getting the attention? Is there are there any little uh, rays of uh, light on uh, of opportunity opening up where you could see effectively coalescing with this admittedly conservative congressional delegation here in, it's in Orange very, County? It's very difficult when people are, as as I said a moment ago, representing a an entity that we can't see a powerful financial lobby that's interested in keeping things just the way that they are and uh i could i could say to these con uh the coalition or the congressmen in this uh area i could say do you know that five percent of the fracking wells fail immediately upon being installed releasing benzene and methane into the air and polluting the water and whether they would agree with that or 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 embrace the science or not i can't say i can only be responsible for what i know and what i can say and certainly advocate for the positions that have been brought forth by scientists who who understand and know this stuff look there's places in texas that are virtually uninhabitable cities that are now virtually uninhabitable there are earthquakes in texas and oklahoma which are states that never have earthquakes and yet we are drilling right under orange county and the la basin which is an area that sits on the san andreas and hundreds of other faults and one can only imagine the potential impact down the road of an earthquake that is caused by destabilizing the ground underneath us uh, fouling the groundwater in an area where groundwater is so critical to our way of life. Uh, it, it, it makes no sense to me. It's a short-term financial gain uh, for some, uh, but it harms us all. Well, I, um, th- I think that's a, another question I could see expanding on in other arenas, too. Um, you've talked a little bit about that, but I think uh, more from you uh, from the, for the rest of your campaign would be interesting to know where you can find the common ground to coalesce with them, what what issues. Uh, what I wanted to make sure while you're still here in Studio A with me today, Drew Levins, is uh, one, uh, the, the two parts here. One is where will listeners be able to hear you? What venues are still available between now and June 3rd so they can directly inquire about your qualifications and your public policy initiatives. Uh, Thank you for asking. Uh, You can find virtually every position uh, and upcoming event on our website at www.dl45th, as in 45th district.com, dl45th.com. I'm also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Drew Levins for Congress. And uh, for those people uh, who may not know the spelling of my name, my last name, Levins, uh, looks just like heavens. Okay. <laughs> All right. And are are there any particular, your campaign managers with us here in Studio A, mm-hmm. are there any uh, activities or venues where listeners uh, here or on the podcast later can uh, hear and meet you, shake your hand, and look you straight in the eye? There, uh, so... I'm being told that we will have something posted on the website uh, that we're doing some events this weekend. Okay. And so I know you were at Crook's Corner. I was hoping yeah. I could get out there last Saturday, but uh-huh. I, I uh, unfortunately was not able to make that. But there, uh, there, are, there are, I mean, it's, we don't have a central newspaper 
or television outlet in Orange County t- that gives any political campaign uh, any real visibility. So it's a, right. a, a and you may not even uh, this congressional race may not even make it into the L.A. Times editorial board endorsement. So it's uh, have they approached you about the L.A. Uh, Times to, has not approached me. They've no. not at all. So we don't we can't uh, foresee that there will be any kinds of congressional districts in California, in Orange County, that will be covered in in that closest press. And I, I don't think the register, has Orange County Register approached you? Uh, they have on a very uh, limited basis, and uh, I haven't gotten much press. No. Or any blogs that might be showing uh, that would post endorsements? Have they approached you? Uh, we have the uh, the people that and organizations that have endorsed us are on, on our website. They're on, okay. Well, the other question, the big one, and this is like your the big last essay question on the exam here is how would you persuade in this interview and for each time anybody's going to pick up the podcast, how would you reach out to new voters, the young voters that are walking around campus and beyond the 30 somethings that I've met recently who have no idea there's a direct primary, who don't understand the effect of the direct primary, who weren't motivated until maybe I talked to them and gave them the deadline of yesterday for registration. How will you promote this direct primary to those voters? Well, June 3rd, everybody, your voice needs to be heard. It's your your right as an American. It's your duty as an American. We have major choices that we make about who represents us. And I've vowed through this campaign that my representation involves representing people. The voice of the people, not special interests, not corporations. Uh, it doesn't matter to me uh, what side of the economic fence you are on. Uh, this is about representing the people's voice and being heard in Washington, D.C. and getting things done. Well, thank you very much. I want to thank Drew Levins, 45th Democratic candidate for in the 45th Congressional District. He is a marriage and family therapist. And uh, he is here, uh, my only guest today. I had hoped that Al Salehi was going to be available so we could uh, have get acquainted with yet one of the four, uh, four total 45th Congressional District candidates. So I'm going to thank Drew Levins for coming thank to Studio. Thank you very much. Thank you. And uh, I'm going to make another pitch for that, and I'll make some announcements. So, folks, yesterday, as I said several times, was the last day for registering to vote in California. And now it's time to uh, read up on what's on your absentee or your sample ballot. That there's little help in a package known as the smartvoter.gov website. The League of Women Voters puts that one together. The League covers all state and local offices, as well as state and local measures candidates campaign websites have also helped me out get they convey useful information at least uh, useful indicators I should say well for next week uh, we'll have um, we'll look under the hood uh, with three candidates who want to represent the 74th assembly district that too is a race that's wide open this year Anila Ali Keith Curry and Karina Onofre are the candidates who've agreed to be on the show Perhaps by then the two other candidates who filed, they'll join us as well. That would be my preference. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening.